the Special Friends Retreat, made possible by generous gifts to the Mary Hill Davis Offering for Texas Missions, is an annual event that celebrates and supports the least of these. It provides a unique worship and camp experience for our special friends, their families, and caregivers. Our Special Friends Retreat is a ministry unlike any other that we do for Texas Baptists. It's for individuals who are 12 years and above uh, through adulthood, those who have disabilities. And it is a camp experience. It's an experience where they can come, they can participate in worship, they can learn about Jesus, um, they can do crafts, and they can just feel the love of Christ there. The talent show is one of the most favorite things that our campers like to do, and it's something that they prepare for year-round, literally. Often, our special needs campers feel overlooked or struggle to find a place where they're truly loved and accepted. The Special Friends Retreat changes that. It's a space where they can encounter God on their level, surrounded by friends who understand and appreciate them. I have attended the Special Friends Retreat for 20 years. I've been going to the Special Friends Retreat for about 17 years. My favorite part is the talent show and the Bible study. My favorite part of the retreat is the the Bible study, the challenge show, and the class. The impact of the Special Friends Retreat is profound. Not only are the campers loved for exactly who God created them to be, but their families and caregivers also receive much-needed support and resources. We love it. Um, it's impacted me greatly through the parent workshop that I go to. Talking to other parents who have been through what we've been through, it's greatly helped us. We have gotten so much good advice through that that we have been able to put into practice. And it's nice to know that there are other people out there who are going through what we do. And sometimes you don't always see that. We do think it does help her at the retreat because there are parents, other parents that go there from other churches and uh, she can talk with them about what's going on. Through your generous contributions and support of the Mary Hill Davis offering, you are making a difference in the lives of our special friends and their families. Together, we can continue to provide this life-changing experience. Honestly, the Mary Hill Davis offering, we could not do the retreat without that support. That support is something that we rely on a great deal, and it provides opportunities for us to give scholarships to families. It helps us to pay for lodging while they're there, for their meals, for their supplies, um, honorariums for our leaders who come. It really is something we rely on very heavily, and it is a blessing. Every dollar that is given to Mary Hill Davis is utilized to its fullest with regard to Special Friends Retreat. Knowing that Special Friends Retreat happens because of people who give through Mary Hill Davis offering is wonderful. Without this retreat, our children could not grow more. Thank you for giving to the Mary Hill Davis offering for Texas Missions.
Good morning and welcome. It's so good to see all of you 
this morning. I know you've probably taken time um, yourself to praise the Lord for the rain that He brought us, but I want us to just join together this morning because I know many of us have prayed for it for a long time. And just would you join me in just saying praise the Lord. Thank you for the rain. So praise the Lord. Thank you for the rain. Yeah, and we, we are always reminded of two things. You know, the Lord is control of seasons, so it rains when He chooses for it to rain, and it doesn't rain when He doesn't choose for the rain. And the rain also falls on the just and the unjust. And um, regardless of situation and circumstance, in dryness or in, you know, wetness, um, our God is still in control. And I was reminded yesterday, I was walking through our pasture, and um, and I looked down, and grass that was dead, I mean, it was brown, it was crusty, and then all of a sudden, there was little sprigs of green coming up. And um, I just thought, and I texted Deborah, you know, there's, there's always life in the ground because God created it. And I want you to think about that in your life, that there is life in you, life that is intended to go beyond this life on earth, a life you were made for, a life for eternity, a life to be filled with purpose. And you may feel dry, you may feel, um, you know, maybe it's not your time, you may feel wilted, but understand this, God has a purpose for you, and He will empower you and equip you for exactly what He has called you to do. And we are thankful for the God that loved the world so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, and we gather here in His name this morning to worship and praise Him. And I'm glad you're here to be a part of it, whether you're sitting here with us, whether you're listening in online. Pray that you would feel welcome, that you would enjoy the service. If you're visiting for the first time or maybe the fifth time, the tenth time, we're glad you're here and it's always good to see our regular folks. Let me just remind you of one thing before we continue singing is we have this little card that um, lets you communicate with us so you can share information, you can share prayer requests, you can ask questions, um, you can just jot a note on there, just drop it in the offering plate when it passes around in a few minutes. And if you do choose to share a prayer request, just let us know if it's okay to send that out over email or not. We want to be um, careful with your privacy, and if you tell us not to share it, we won't share it. Um, we'll just keep that in the church office, but we will intend to pray. But I just want to welcome you in the name of the Lord. Um, just invite you to continue with us as we worship this morning through singing and listening. So let's worship together. Would you stand and sing with us? I've been held in your hands 
Help us to trust you more.
be seated. Psalm 139, 1-18 O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit, and I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there, and if I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on wings of the morning, and if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me, and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day, and darkness and light are the same to you. You make all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life is recorded in your book, and every moment is laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of your presence being with us this morning. We set aside this time right now to worship you with our tithes, gifts, and offerings, and uh, thank you for what you've blessed us with. We pray that you would use these tithes to further your kingdom and to glorify your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for that scripture. That was, it's, it is amazing how God knows us before we're even born. It's a miracle. <laughs>
morning.
Thank you. You may be seated. While you're finding Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible, I've invited um, Charlie Moore to come and, and share a poem with us. It's a poem that he shared with me last week after the service and after some interchange. I said, you know, it's always better when the poet reads his own poetry. And so I um, just want you to listen in as Charlie shares with us this morning. Foreign Affairs. Who's right? Who's wrong? And should we care what nations fight way over there? Each thinks he serves a will above, but where is service without love? Who's right or wrong? We shouldn't care as long as love can be found there. Although a man lives across the sea, he still can be neighbor to me. Just love your neighbor as yourself. Now keep those words upon the shelf. Then should you ever have a doubt, you promptly pull those wise words out. If you are wise, then you will glean just what that quote must really mean. But just wise words without some action could never bring real satisfaction. And actions made but with no love defy the plans of God above. Now, that's confusion. That's not the poem he wanted me to read. He don't, he, I showed him that poem, and today is so pretty, it's a twofer day. You get a two. <laughs> Who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Where do you find him? Is he union labor? What lies behind him? You might know where he stays, the ground that's below him, the kids with whom he plays, but do you really know him? You know the shade of his house and the trees up above him. You may approve of his spouse, but can you really love him? You don't know who lives there. Now, you're asking a lot. Must I help him out or share whether I like him or not? Don't be left out on a limb or worse, trim from the tree. What you did for the least of them, you have done for me. If you don't want to be liable, don't leave these words on the shelf. They're straight from the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. And I'm so glad to know that the 17th of September just happened to be two for one day. And who knew? And I'm so thankful. Thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to share with you something I forgot last week. I was in a, a meeting, um, it was Ministerial Alliance, and the, the police chief was there along with the mayor of Burleson, and I just asked a question. I asked the mayor and the police chief, I said, you know, what could we do as churches to help, you know, Burleson be a better place? And the police chief, who is, um, he's phenomenal, I'm, I have the highest re respect for him, and I'm, I'm thankful for his his leadership in our police department and our community. I'm thankful that he's also a man of faith. But he just said, without even missing a beat, he said, you know, Rusty, if everybody would just be a better neighbor, Burleson would be a better place. If they could just let go some of those, you know, nitpicky things and those quarrels and, and just 
be better neighbors, then um, Burleson would be a better place. And I thought, you know, that's true. If we really take that to heart, like Charlie's poem said, it's not just words on a page, but it becomes part of who we are, then, you know, we can transform our neighborhoods little by little by being a good neighbor. I saw a good neighbor this week. I won't tell you who he was, but he was standing, peeking over his fence, talking to another neighbor who was walking down the road. And I was like, man, there's a neighbor right there. And, you know, popped up above the fence. And I think that or those are just the things we need. We need neighbors peeking. Well, no, 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 we need neighbors. No, we don't need neighbors. I almost said something I didn't need to say. If we do that, we're going to have to go in a whole other direction. Um, we need neighbors that are willing to step across the boundaries of their property to reach out to the people next door. And I'm thankful for that. And Lord, with your help, we can do that. So we've been looking at for the last several weeks these questions that help us shape, you know, who we are as a church or to look at the series, We Are the Church. And we've already, you know, looked at who is my neighbor. You know, we looked at that last week. And this morning we're going to look at what is my purpose. Next week we're going to talk about who our family is. And then finally, what is our, our focus as as a church. But when you think about that idea of what is my purpose, from time to time, I don't know about y'all, but questions kind of float into your mind. What is the purpose of my life? Why, why did God make me in this time with this you know, body and this you know, um, personality and this season? What am I supposed to be doing? I'm, I'm alive and I'm breathing, so obviously there has to be some reason for me to be here. So so what's the point? And for some people, those are questions that almost seem unanswerable. They don't really know where to go to find purpose. And some people feel like life is just, you know, this... It's like those... I don't know if you ever read Choose Your Adventure books. I used to love them from Scholastic. But it's almost like this choose your own adventure that you can declare your own purpose and you can do everything within your power to to live out the American dream and reach that potential. But I want us to think about what the Bible says about what our purpose is. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. God made man and woman. He placed them in the garden. They're made in His own image. Their intended purpose was to what? To fellowship with God in the cool of the day, for relationship, for love, for, for to delight in God's presence and for God to delight in their presence. And it wasn't very long in the story of the earth that what happened? Sin entered the world. And that purpose that God had was interrupted. God's creation was was marred. Fellowship with God was broken. And purpose became confused. Work became toil. And rescue was needed. But God had a plan from the beginning to rescue and redeem and to restore His creation. His intended purpose for man was interrupted, but God had a plan to restore man's purpose that could be realized only in a relationship with His Son, Jesus, the One who came to redeem, to be the Savior, to seek and save that which was lost, and in the end of all things, to make all things new. To restore again that 
fellowship that was broken to restore the intended purpose of every man and every woman who would call on his name and in the end to set everything right the way God intends in both heaven and earth when there's a new heaven and a new earth. So that's the brief overview of the Bible that God has a purpose. And as Zoe read earlier for us from Psalm 139, we were all made very unique. Um, this is a, it's not my DNA, um, it's a model of what DNA might look like. Deoxyribonucleic acid, the building blocks, the, the code of genetics for organisms. And you inherit your DNA from your biological parents. You share some common traits. It could be things like skin color, hair color, eye color. And DNA is what makes you who you are. Every person is unique. Every person is made in God's image. Every person is loved infinitely by God and is created for His glory and His purpose. You know what else? Each person is full of potential. That's why I love that special friends video. You know? Because God has a purpose for everyone. And they are delighting in their purpose as they are delighting in fellowship with their Lord. No one was born without a purpose. Everyone matters. The problem we have is that sin has plagued that or flawed this purpose. The presence of sin has hijacked the purpose. It's hindered our potential, but there's hope and help available. See, God's plan to rescue, to repair and restore replants in us the original design of our Creator, His plan and His purpose. And I thought, wondered, and I thought, you know, is there really such a thing as spiritual DNA? And I thought if there were, that that would be what God provided when we entered into our new birth in Christ, that when we come face to face with His grace, we respond to Jesus with faith, and God defines for us very clearly our purpose. In fact, it's a purpose that He's known from the very beginning. And so each person who is rescued and redeemed is called to a purpose to do what Paul tells the Ephesians is good works, and we'll look at that in a minute. And I want us to consider this thought that God created every man and woman for a purpose and He desires to redeem each person to free and empower them to display His grace. Let's read what Paul wrote to the Ephesians and then we'll take some time to, to look at a, a few brief things as we see what our purpose is and how we go about carrying it out in this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but 
God. But God, being rich in mercy, rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, craftsmanship, unique design, artistry, tapestry, poetry, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Will you join me as we pray? Oh, Father, we are thankful this morning that we have the truth of your word. We thank you for the gift of redemption. We thank you for the value of purpose that you place in our hearts. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that we have not only to to read your word and understand it, but to hear your commands and obey them. And Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Teach us according to your word and by your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you'll see three quick, there's three points in the back, in the middle of your bulletin that will help you walk your way through this. We're going to look at a walk in the past. We're going to look at a change in direction. And we're going to talk about walking with purpose. And the basic flow of these verses is that every person on earth is in a dead-end condition apart from Christ. But Christ offers us a change of direction, and with that change of direction, we have a new purpose. So let's start by looking at a walk in the past. It's not very encouraging to read these first verses. Basically, we find out that apart from Christ, every purpose, every person is headed for a dead end. They're on a one-way road toward judgment. It's a direction that many are still headed in. And it's an end that no one, if they knew what the reality of it, would want to face. And so Paul says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. It's there in verse 1. He says, it's in which you once walked. So he's talking about past tense. He's talking to Christians saying, this is what you were like. Let's walk through just for a minute the condition you were in before you came to trust the Savior, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The key word there is you were dead. It's the condition of anyone who is apart from Jesus, who is the life, the only source of life. It's the the imagery of a lifeless corpse laying on a funeral bed not doing anything, not able to speak, immovable, without purpose, dead. And people are walking around, they may look very much alive 
on the outside. They may be moving, they may be breathing, they may be speaking and acting, but on the inside there is a deadness. So it's talking about spiritual death. And the cause of that death is very clear. It's sin and trespasses. Sin means missing the mark, and trespass means to to cross the line intentionally. To jump a fence and be somewhere you were never intended to be. It's a condition that everyone that is born has because we're all born sinners just like Adam. And we constantly cross God's boundaries and we always come up short of His holy standard in our own strength. And so we're walking, dead people, walking in sin. And so we were dead, but when we get to verse 5, we find God does something miraculous. He brings us to life. And that's exactly who he's writing to. People who had this as a past tense condition, but their present tense reality was they were in Christ. They were saved. And as we look around, we see those people that he misses the most. And they're the walking dead, waiting to receive that breath of life that only Jesus can And verses 2 and 3 help us to see what it looks like the condition is like to walk in sin. They're captive to sin and the influence of the world. Living a life that's opposed to God and His standards, conformed to the standards of the world, and under the power and the influence of Satan, or as he's referred to here, the prince of the power of the air. They're living in the passions of the flesh. They're doing what they want to, when they want to, what they feel like. And they're dominated by these forces and influences that seem to offer fulfillment and satisfaction, but only provide guilt, shame, and condemnation. They, they never intend, they never provide what they promise to, and they leave empty, unfulfilled shells of what God intends. These people walk, or we walked once apart from Christ without hope and without purpose. And he calls them sons of disobedience. Kind of sounds almost like a motorcycle gang that you wouldn't want to encounter, the sons of disobedience. That's what we were. And then he says we're objects of wrath, all apart from Christ, by nature, children of wrath. So that's the rival biker gang we have. We have the sons of disobedience and the children of wrath. Men and women swayed by the world under the influence of their flesh and the devil and if nothing changes, they're subject to divine judgment. And he has this phrase like the rest of mankind just to remind us that that's what everybody does apart from Jesus. We say it often, but I don't know if we really recognize it. The fact that people that are apart from Jesus act like people that are apart from Jesus. And so, you know, before we're too quick with the shame on yous, we should be more apt to offer the love and grace of Jesus and say, Jesus loves you. If you read verse 3 in the New Living Translation, I think it, it helps us to unpack some of this meaning. All of us used to live that way following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We're born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger just like everyone else. 
he's reminding them of their past to help them see the destination that he has as they fulfill their purpose in doing ultimately what we'll see as good works. And the diagnosis for these people apart from Christ is 100% fatal. It's filled with pain, heartache, and disappointment all along the way. And it's a condition that God never intended any person to remain in. Today we only read about the disease of smallpox and its ravages in history books. At one time it was the most devastating virus known to man. In the 20th century alone, it estimates were that over 300 million people were killed until it was finally eradicated in 1977. And who knows how many centuries before, before they even thought about those ideas. But in 1796, a doctor from England named Edward Jenner discovered by studying cowpox what the smallpox vaccine was. It took him about five years until it became effective. And in 1801, there was a vaccination for smallpox. And so over time, as more and more people were vaccinated, the disease was eradicated to the point where the vaccination is no more needed, no longer needed in the United States. And so there was provided a preventative cure for a ravaging disease. And Paul wants us to understand that Jesus provided the cure for the disease of sin. That while those apart from Jesus, are dead, enslaved, and headed for judgment, that they now have received God's grace in Jesus and the salvation that He provides. They were dead, but now they're alive. It's a great reminder. Jesus came to make dead men and dead women alive. His victory over death frees us from the captivity and the dominion of our flesh, from the power of sin, the influence of the evil one, of Satan, and because of his sacrifice, we are no longer objects of wrath, children of disobedience, but we are his adopted sons and daughters because through Jesus, God planned a great reversal or the second thing you see there, a change in direction. The six letters in English that begin verse four are packed with our, but God. They signify an intervention point, a transition, a time when God stepped in and did something in their lives, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul says it there in verse 4, by grace you've been saved. He unpacks it a little more in verses 8 and 9. But he is helping us to understand that those who trust in Jesus have been delivered from spiritual death. You were dead, but God did something about that condition. He made you alive. How? By being connected to Christ through faith. Curtis Vaughn, who wrote a Commentary on Ephesians said it this way, This new life is ours, it's made possible by Christ, and we share it with Christ. 
why? What's the motivation? What Paul wrote, because of his, God's great love by the richness of his mercy. And you see this great contrast on both sides of the but God that faced with the dark reality of our sin and God's judgment, the light of God's love and mercy shined in and changed the situation. It changed life. And so not only were they delivered, but they're also raised and seated. Look at verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those Both of those with Him, you can just insert Jesus. We're raised up with Jesus. We're seated with Jesus. And it's because of Jesus that we live a resurrection life because Jesus was raised. And if we put our faith in Him, we are raised with Him. It happens at salvation. And it comes with the added benefit of a bodily resurrection and a body made whole and new again when Jesus comes back. And then we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. So, oh, you may have been a son or daughter of disobedience in the past, but God raised you up to be a son or daughter of the King. And if you're united with Christ, you share in His authority because you're seated at God's right hand. There is a heavenly destination waiting for you that comes with family benefits that are more numerous than we could imagine because in Christ we have the right to be called children of So a bleak and uncertain future is changed dramatically because of what God has done to give us a present and future security in Christ. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did God make men and women alive? Why did He raise them up? Why did He seek them in the heavens? The verse tells us that He did it so that He could put the miracle of His grace on display for everyone to see. God saved men and women for a purpose. God saved you for a purpose. It was His idea. It was His plan. You've always been on His mind. And He has saved you, each and every one of you, to shine out His glory and grace wherever you go. And when people see a transformed sinner, they see God's grace on display. They see God's greatest miracle. God saved me by His grace. God's greatest miracle, God saved you. And God's greatest miracle yet to be written is there are more and more that He chooses and wants to add into His family when they just say yes and trust in Jesus. What a beautiful thing it is when one of those that Jesus misses the most chooses to stop running from Him and runs toward Him who chooses to stop rejecting and, ex- and chooses to accept who He is and the overflowing, abundant, never-ending grace of God is in full view. A person who's headed down a dead-end road but 
God provides a change in direction. Verse 8 and 9, they're beautiful to read. It's even more beautiful to ponder and think about. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. The boundless and extravagant grace of God met with our small and feeble faith. And what does God do? He grants salvation freely, even though we don't deserve it, even though our works could never get there and were never meant to be. Oh no, He does His work in us. And He gives us the gift of life through His Son, Jesus. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, praise be to God for His indescribable gift. Have you ever noticed in life sometimes changing directions make all the difference? Have you ever been in one of those situations where you think you're driving in the right direction only to realize that you're going in the exact opposite direction? That your odometer as it ticks away is actually recording the fact that you're getting further away from your destination rather than closer. It can be embarrassing. It can be frustrating. Sometimes you just have to chuck the GPS and go into a Dairy Queen and find out where in the world do I go. I say that from experience because we wound up in the middle of a cornfield and it said you've reached your destination. We're like, no, I don't think we have. And there's only one thing to do when you find out you're going the wrong way, right? Turn the car around. Head in the other direction. And the same is true with our lives. The the difference between going nowhere and heading somewhere, the difference between meaningless and meaningful, the difference between a, a pointless and a purposeful life, the difference between wandering and walking through, wandering through life and walking toward God is to change direction. One of my scoutmasters growing up was a man from Indiana. His name was Barney Barnhart. Um, He was very quotable. Some were a little more colorful than um, could probably be readily quoted. But he would always tell us that a hike is a walk with a purpose. Now, as a 14-year-old who didn't really enjoy walking long distances, I did not see any purpose in a hike. But there was always a purpose in mind. There was a destination to be reached. There was energy to be expended. And Paul, in writing this letter to the Ephesians, wants them to know that their walk of life has a purpose. In just chapters 4 and 5, if you you can look them up later, he encourages them to walk worthy of their calling, to not walk like the Gentiles, to walk in love, to walk in the light, and to walk in wisdom. To live a life of purpose, to walk in purpose. And if you follow after Jesus, if you listen to His voice and obey His commands, you will find and fulfill your purpose. We can walk with purpose. It's really the focus, the emphasis of verse 10. That God saved us from 
sin and wrath in order for us to have a purpose. And that's what we read. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we find in this verse, verse four things that help us to understand our purpose. First, there is ownership. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. For we are His. We sing the song sometimes in church, I belong to God, I belong to Jesus. Saved by your power and bought with your blood, I say to the darkness, you don't own me anymore. Oh, oh, I belong to God. Should probably add a stanza in there that says, I belong to God and God use me how you choose for your glory. Because when we talk about ownership, not only are we children of God, but He's the one who sets the direction and purpose. He calls the shots and we follow Him. We don't serve a God that we dictate to. That we say, God, this is how we want you to act. No, we serve a God who set the foundations of the earth, that set a plan and a purpose, and is willing to reveal that to us and show us our direction and show us our purpose. We are His. But there's also craftsmanship. The verse continues, we are His workmanship. The word there is the word poema, which sounds a lot like the word poem, which reminds me of the two poems that Charlie read. It describes a design created by an artist, words formed by a, a poet, a work of art that's priceless and unique. We are His workmanship. God's workmanship, created and made new creations in Christ. It's what makes the difference. He's the one who's the master craftsman. He's the potter. We're the clay. He forms us the way He chooses, through joy and through pain, trusting that His work is always good and realizing always that we are still works in progress. Now, how does that affect us? It lets us know that there are still pages to be written for your life. There hasn't been a final period placed until God calls you home. There are still pages to be written. There are still scenes to be painted. Beautiful horizons, beautiful sunsets, wonderful adventures that God chooses for us. And there's still some flaws to be removed. Have you ever been constructing something and realized you've made an error and you have to remove the flaws? So there's flaws to be removed. The paint's not dry yet. But there's also character to be sculpted as He forms us over time to be more and more in the image of His Son. Pastor Jack Hayford wrote these words, Before conversion, our lives had no rhyme or reason. Conversion brought us balance, symmetry, and order. We are God's poem. We're His work of art. So you're His craftsmanship. For what purpose? You've been prepared, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God sees everything, start to finish, beginning to end, and doesn't miss anything in between. He knew what His plan was 
for you before you were even born. The wonder and the beauty of life. Psalm 139 pictures that. His good works are part of His plan for us. He prepared them in advance for us. And those good works are acts of service toward others and faithfulness toward our God. Now when we see good works, if your mind operates like a lot of other minds, it's very tempting or easy to sit down and make a checklist of things that we should do. I should pray, I should read my Bible, I should go to church, I should you know, do this, I should help my neighbor, I should do... You know, those are all good things. But in making it a checklist idea of what good works are, it's very tempting to say, well, I've checked that off, I've checked that off, I've marked that off the list, and then to lay that list aside and not come back to it and feel pretty good about yourself. I don't know about y'all, but I love to have a good um, to-do list completed. Um, I don't have near as many these days as I used to, but one of the things I always did to give myself like the free space on bingo was to create a to-do list, and then number one, item, create a to-do list. And so on my to-do list, I automatically check the first one off because I had created a to-do list. Now, what I have to confess is that to-do list often was comprised of most of the things that carried over from the day prior, and I'm sure yours were probably similar. But if we only look at Christianity as a checklist type of faith where we just go through the motions, it only scratches the surface of what God has intended for us. Think about this. Think about it this way. God prepared good works in advance so we might walk in them. Listen to that phrase. God created good works in advance so we might walk in them. So the idea here is to move us beyond a checklist to a lifestyle, a change of our heart, a change of our mind, a change of our actions, a change of focus and direction. Where we are motivated by faith. The actions we do are in line with our faith. They line, they in line, they're in line with God's Word. So we're doing things that God's Word tells us to do. They bring God glory. They point to God, not us. So God gets the credit we don't. And they're selfless acts, not selfish acts. And these good works, here's the good news, come from God's power that's working in us. So we never have a place to to boast and say, yeah, I did that, even though we try. There's no room for praise of ourselves. And we have to always remember that it's God who gets all of the credit. These good works are to bring glory to God. He gets all the credit. 21 years ago, 2002, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Community Church published the book, The Purpose Driven Life. If you're like me, you've probably had one or more or several copies come in and out of your library throughout the years because what I find myself is, oh, I don't think I'll look at that book anymore. And then I find it half price. Oh, hey, I think I'm going to get that book again. And I may have bought my own book back three or four times at half price um, as a result. But I picked it up the other day. And I was looking at some information. And, you know, the whole idea, the cover says, the purpose, you know, purpose driven life. What on earth am I here for? Now, currently, the publisher's honorman says that there have been over 50 million copies in various formats, either print or digital, of 
that book sold. It's been translated into 137 languages. I think there's some clue there that maybe some people are searching to find out what their, their purpose is. And if they follow the pages of that book, they will indeed find it. But I want to read just a small section from the book that, that helps us to see that, that these good works sometimes don't come out of our talents, but they come from our trials. Things we've experienced in the past. Listen to what he says. We are products of our past, but we do not have to be prisoners to it. God intentionally allows you to go through painful experiences to equip you for ministry to others. Other people are going to find healing in your words. Your greatest life message and most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. God uses our successes and our failures, our, our victories and our defeats for His good work. And you know when He does His best work? reaches up on the shelf and he pulls just a simple clay pot off the shelf. Wipes the dust out of it. Patches the cracks. And starts the work. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Because of the incomparable nature of his goodness and his mercy might shine through us. Now it's not silver and gold, crystal vessels that God uses. It's ordinary people like you and me who were created in His image, marred by sin, saved by His grace. Each one made for a purpose and He desires to redeem each and every person to free and empower them to display His grace. You're created by an amazing creator. You are who you are because God wanted you to be who you are. You're redeemed by a precious redeemer who loves you and wants the best for your life. You can gain new life from the one who is the author of life. And you can discover your purpose from the most purposeful one ever. So let me just give you three things. Some, just some things to reflect upon thinking about, am I living on purpose? Now, I'm not going to give you actions, because this is God showing you what to do. But just some three, three things. Be thankful. To see if you're living on purpose. Do I regularly express gratitude? Do I find delight in the Lord, delight in my day, delight in the people around me? If you don't find yourself being thankful, it may be the opportunity to kind of check and see, am I headed in the right direction? Genuine. Do my actions match up with my faith? Does what I read on Sunday school, in the Sunday school hour here on Sunday morning, does it spill on over into Monday through Saturday? Does the quiet time I have in the morning or the devotional I read, does it affect or season my actions during the day? Do I find myself living out the truth that God's Word says? Am I genuine or am I just, you know, a fake, kind of going through the motions? 
you find your actions aren't genuine and they don't line up with God's word, it may be a clue that you're not on purpose. But if you're thankful and you find yourself acting as genuinely as you can and the power God has given you, you're on the right track. But there's a third thing, Christ-likeness. See, earlier when I said we are his workmanship, there's a master model that's perfect in every way, without flaw. His name is Jesus. He is the standard. He is our Savior. God measures everything according to Him. And we are being made, even though it seems like a slow process, a painful process, more and more in His likeness each and every day. And so the words Christ-like. Can others see Jesus in me? And so if you find yourself thankful, genuine, and growing in Christ-likeness, you may have began to unlock the purpose God has for you. You see, when Jesus comes into your life, He gives you new birth, and with that you get the, the spiritual DNA face-to-face with His grace, responding with our faith. We allow God to define our purpose. In fact, He doesn't just make it up. Then and there, He knew what it would be all along. And he rescues and redeems us to perform good works that he's planned before us, beforehand to do. Michael Card, who crafts brilliantly theology and music, wrote a song called The Poem of Your Life. I'd like to read just a brief portion of that and then we'll, we'll pray. Life is a song we must sing with our days. A poem with meaning more than words can say. A painting with colors no rainbow can tell. A lyric that rhymes even that rhymes either heaven or hell. We are living letters that doubt desecrates. We're the notes of the song of the chorus of faith. God shapes every second of our little lives and minds every minute as the universe waits by. The pain and the longing, the joy and the moments of light are the rhyme and rhythm, the free verse of the poem of life. What's your purpose? Redeemed in Christ, freed and empowered, masterpiece of His grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are the one who redeems, You free and You save, and that You equip, that You form your masterpieces to live for your glory with your purpose. And our purpose is to delight in your presence and to live according to your word and truth for the days of our lives. Lord, help us to reflect on these things, to see that we are an incredible masterpiece, that we are defined by you and not by anything else in the world. Lord, that we would be thankful and express gratitude. We would be genuine, that our faith would match our actions. And that you would let your light shine through the cracks of our clay pots that others would see Jesus in us. Thank you for making us and for remaking us in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Jackie's here to
play some soft music on the piano and then we're here to spend some time focusing on what God may be saying to our lives today. Maybe you've never really seen yourself as a masterpiece, a unique creation of God, seeing that He has a plan and a purpose. And maybe today is the day that you've just, the lights came on and you thought, you know, God's made me for a reason and I'm who I am because He loved me and made me that way. And, and I'm just going to lay that doubt and, and fear aside. I'm just going to live for Him. Maybe that's it. It's to step out and just say, God, I'm yours. Holy and filthy. Maybe you've just felt worthless, but you found your worth in Him. Maybe there's some area of service God's just saying, I want you to step into this. You know, you're, you're only just scratching the surface of what your purpose is. Now, just turn this over to me. Confess this to me. Let me heal this and walk into what I have for you. Maybe it's the day God says, hey, I want you to plant here and serve. To be a part of this church family. Or maybe... For the very first time, you just want to say yes to Jesus and be redeemed and have that but God moment in your life. Maybe other needs, you may just need to pray quietly or have some burdens that are on your heart and you can lift those up before the Father. You can pray with someone near you or you can come to the front and I'll be glad to pray with you. But the piano's going to play quietly and we'll have a moment for you to listen and respond. things to you and ask you to keep working well beyond today. As our worship team makes their way up to uh, lead us in a closing song, let me just remind you of a few things. First of all, um, we saw the video at the front about our, our Mary Hill Davids offering. It's for Texas Missions. 
things that happened inside the state of Texas, and you may have received a prayer guide last week and worked through those, or there may still be some laying around. I encourage you, if you prayed through it last week, go ahead and pray through it again. Um, if you haven't started, just start today, and there's no, um, there's no shame. But it's also just a good reminder of the work um, God is doing through Texas Baptist all throughout our, our state. So our goal for that offering is $2,000, and we already have about $600 collected. So if you have um, plans to give and haven't, um, you can take care of that next week, and we'll see um, what God does and help us meeting that goal. Also, men, October 3rd is the Fish Fry at River Bend. Um, there are still seven tickets available, so if you would like to attend, um, let me know, and I'll get your name on the list. If we have more than seven, we'll just get more tickets. So if you if you would like to go, that's October 3rd. It's a Tuesday night. It starts at 6 o'clock. It's in Glen Rose. Um, it's all-you-can-eat um, catfish, followed by um, a worship service. So hope you can be a part of that if you choose. And then also, just to remind you, next Sunday morning, um, as we um, look at um, who is my family together, we'll be sharing in the Lord's Supper together. So I know you'll look forward to that. I want to thank you for being here, for worshiping with us. I want to invite you to stand up um, together. Um, let us sing. And when we're finished with our song, you are dismissed. Lord bless you.